Thanks for downloading this podcast from Pardes North America. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Michael Emerson on Parashat Chaye Sarah. Visit us at elmod.pardes.org for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. And now, here is Rabbi Michael Emerson. After spending the first chapter of the Parsha recounting the story of Avraham purchasing Marat Machpelah to bury Sarah, his wife, the majority of the rest of the Parsha is primarily concerned with the search for a spouse for Yitzchak, his son. Now, in many ways, this story is not a typical biblical story in its use of you know, significant details, the repetition of the story, and its overall length. It's long. Rivka is actually the only one of the Avot and Imaot to receive such a lengthy narrative about how she was chosen to be one of the founding pillars of B'nai Israel. This definitely did not go unnoticed by Chazal. Rashi, on uh, chapter 24, verse 42, cites the Midrash from Breshit Rabbah. Rav Acha said, The ordinary conversation of the patriarch's servants, referring to Eliezer in this case, is more pleasing to God than even the Torah of their children. For the chapter of Eliezer is repeated in the Torah, i.e., it is written once as a narrative and again repeated as part of the conversation between the servant and Rivka's family, whereas many important principles of the law are derived only from subtle hints given in the text. So what is it about Rivka specifically that merits this lengthy introduction and narrative? Now if we recap the story just for a second, Avram you know, summons his servant Eliezer, according to the traditional interpretation, this is Eliezer, and tells him he is sending him out on a mission to find a spouse for Yitzchak. Avram doesn't give him a list of criteria. He really only asks Eliezer to swear that he will not choose someone from among the local Canaanite women, but rather he should travel to Aram Naharaim, Avram's birthplace, and find a woman there. Eliezer was a bit hesitant, and uh, he feared that the woman would not want to return with him, but Avram promises that God will accompany Eliezer on this mission and make him successful. It was understood that Avram was looking for someone with qualities that were different from the local Canaanite women, but he doesn't specify what those qualities are or what Eliezer should look for. So Eliezer on his own devises this test of character to establish whether the woman he encounters will be a good match for Yitzchak and worthy of Avram's family. So as part of this test, Eliezer says, you know, he's going to ask a woman that he sees for water at the well, and if she also offers to bring water for his camels, that will demonstrate that she is someone who cares and is committed to gemilat chesed, to kindness, um, and he'll know that this woman is a suitable match for Yitzchak and uh, worthy to join Avram's family. Now, as we know, as the story continues, Eliezer spots Rivka and immediately asks her for water. She offers him water, and as soon as he is done, she offers to provide water for his ten camels as well. This involves a significant amount of work, as the well was not directly next to the trough. And Rivka jumps right into action, starts running back and forth, filling and refilling, filling and refilling the trough with the camels until they had finished drinking. Eliezer hesitates for a moment as he attempts to kind of figure out, is this the right person that God wants me to you know, encounter? So he asks Rivka who her family is. And when she answers that she is the daughter of Bituel, the son of Milcah and Nahor, Eliezer immediately recognizes that she's related to Avram's family, and he knows that God has indeed sent him the right woman. 
When we examine the story more carefully, there are certain familiar words and phrases that start to jump out at the reader. As my teacher, Rav Amnon Bazak, points out in one of his shiurim, we immediately begin to notice that many of these words, phrases, and qualities remind us of the stories about Avraham from the last few parshiot. The first one, in verse 17, Eliezer asks, Let me drink a little water, please, I pray you, from your pitcher. Which immediately reminds us of Avram and his guests from Parsha Vayera, chapter 18, verse 4. Let a little water be taken, I pray you, that you may wash your feet. And in that same story, Avram immediately jumps into action which we see from the use of the words Vayimaher and Ratz. He hurried and he ran. Avram hurried to the tent, to Sarah, and said, Prepare quickly three measures of flour. And then Avram ran to the herd and took a calf that was tender and good and gave it to the young man and he hurried to prepare it. With Rivka, we see a similar scene play out. She hurried to lower her pitcher and she hurried to empty her pitcher into the trough and she ran again to the well to draw water. This was no easy task, as we said. Rivka was drawing water for ten camels until they had each drunk their fill, which would have required multiple trips back and forth to the water source and back to the trough and to the water source and to the trough. If we go back to the beginning of the story, if we remember what Eliezer's mission was, Avram really only gave him one condition, which was that the woman must be willing to leave her country, her relatives, and her family, as he himself once did in Parshat Lech Lecha. Avram asked his servant to go to my country and my birthplace, which the servant later recounts in verses 37 and 38 to her family. And my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house. It immediately calls to mind Avram's famous test from God, Lech lecha me'artzacha umi molaratecha umi beit avicha el asher areka. Go forth from your land and from your birthplace and from your father's house. And Rivka, at the end of that section, when she is eventually asked if she wants to go with the servant and leave her home and family, she immediately says, Vatomer elech, I shall go. Immediately recalling to mind Avram also saying, God, I will follow you, I will go. Now, aside from just this willingness to leave her home, we can also look at how she grew up in Aram Naharayim. Just as Avram came from a pagan environment and was chosen by God, as Yoshua recounts to the people in Sefer Yoshua, chapter 24, verses 2 to two and 3, Your fathers once dwelled on the other side of the river, Terach, the father of Avram and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Avram from the other side of the river. Rivka too grew up in this exact same environment, surrounded by all the same problems. And in fact, the Midrash in Breshit Rabbah 63 recounts that she was like a rose among the thorns in her ability to maintain a path of righteousness and kindness and humility even while her immediate family and surroundings were mired in deceitful, immoral behavior. Despite those surroundings, she's ready to answer the call to go to God's land. And then as she's set to depart with Eliezer, Rivka receives a, br- a blessing, a bracha from her family. May you grow into thousands of myriads. May your offspring seize the gates of their foes. 
which remind us again of the blessing Avram received after the Akedah. Ki barich avarecha v'harbe arbe etzaracha kekochve ashamayim v'kachol asher asfatayam v'yarash zaracha et sha'ar oivav. And your descendants shall inherit the gate of those who hate them, as the verse concludes. And finally, if we notice just based on how many times names appear in this narrative, Avram's name appears in the story about 14 times, while Rivka's name appears 13 times. Eliezer, the servant, is not his name is never mentioned. And so really Avram and Rivka are the primary named characters in this narrative, despite the fact that they're not in the same place and they're not interacting with each other. There seems to be the, the text seems to be drawing this comparison before our eyes saying, hey, these are the two main people we should be focusing on. So what's this all about? In the literature about leadership, there's a frequent distinction made between the concepts of authority and influence. You know, authority is what we usually think of when we think of power. Um, and it usually references someone who's, who's appointed to a position of power. And that's what we usually associate with being a leader, somebody who has the authority, has the power, and is appointed to that position. It might refer to a manager who's good at managing products and projects and meeting deadlines. They may or may not be a good leader, but it's their appointed job to lead. On the other hand, real leadership is a practice that can be exercised by anyone regardless of their appointed position. And the secret to that type of effective leadership is developing influence. This influence, it could be over a small circle or a more substantial group of people. But in both cases, it's influence that is at the heart of true leadership. This type of leadership can be practiced by anyone and may involve speaking up, engaging in conversation, forging healthy, trusting relationships, and and listening more. Being a likable person is an important start. And ultimately, stronger relationships lead to stronger, more lasting results because people are inclined to cooperate with people that they like. It also involves acting with humility. Leading with humility means focusing on the needs of others and always aiming to serve rather than be served. As someone with influence, one can help move people towards success through the way that you carry yourself, the reputation you develop for yourself, your credibility, and how you communicate, including your body language. And people take notice of how you sit, stand, the faces you make, and your gestures, and they want to replicate that type of leadership. Now, if we look at our story, Avram was indeed selected by God. He was granted some measure of authority, but he was also an incredible influencer. I know influencer has a little bit of a, you know, it's lost some of that luster in today's day and age where we talk about influencers and, you know, YouTube influencers and Instagram influencers all the time. But he was truly an original influencer. He made it and it made him an effective and powerful leader. Think about the entourage that he developed of people who wanted to be around him and Sarah and to join his team. He was someone others wanted to replicate and to follow, someone whom other people wanted to align with and be a part of his movement. On the other hand, Yitzhak, his son, while born into his position of authority as Avram's son and would-be successor, he doesn't really exhibit that same type of influence. So he has the authority, he has the power from his position, but doesn't really have that same type of influence. As Rav Aaron Lichtenstein points out, Yitzhak is frequently portrayed as a relatively passive character. In the Akedah, one of the primary defining moments in his life, the focus is almost exclusively on Avram being tested, and we see you know, little to no reaction from Yitzhak. In chapter 26, when, he decides, when Yitzhak decides to leave Eretz Yisrael due to the famine, 
God tells him to remain where he is and stay. Don't move. And even when Yitzhak digs wells and does something active, he redigs the wells of Avram and uses the same names his father had given them. To quote Rav Lichtenstein, in short, Avram is a spiritual revolutionary, while Yitzhak is far more passive, willing to walk in his father's footsteps, and never feeling the need to step out of his father's shadow. By the end of his life, as Yitzhak becomes blind and wants to pass on the brachot to his children, Rivka essentially controls the entire issue of succession and the conflict over the birthright between Yaakov and Esav. They, work, they all work around Yitzhak and even deceive him, further embedding this idea that he's, he's essentially being acted upon. He's, a, he's more of a passive character. So Eliezer, the servant, as he sought a partner for Yitzhak, he knew he needed to find someone who could be an active partner, somebody capable of ex- exercising leadership. It was crucial that he find a highly motivated, active figure to balance the more quiet and introspective Yitzhak. And he saw the way that Rivka was rodef chesed. She chased after chesed and jumped at the opportunity to serve. He saw the way she addressed him as Adoni, my master. He saw the way in which she cared for the camels and threw herself into the job with gusto. He saw her hospitality and the way she invited him to stay the night as a guest at her family's house. He saw the real hallmarks of an influencer of a natural leader. In some ways, it's actually Rivka who seems to be the one truly accepting the mantle of leadership and influence from Avraham. She may not have the appointed authority or power, but she demonstrates through her actions the influence she will exert over others as she practices leadership and joins the ranks of the matriarchs. She is dynamic and proactive. And throughout this entire introductory narrative, the words that jump out from the text are all about action and describe a person jumping at the opportunity to do good and build relationships. She runs, she draws water, she fills jars, she rides a camel. She has a certain amount of vitality and individuality that seems to be more lacking in the more passive Yitzchak. While Yitzchak does follow in his fo- father's footsteps in some ways, it's actually Rivka who sets off on her own, leaving her family behind and making the ultimate sacrifice to heed the call to travel to God's land and to make a new life for herself and to help build the nation of Am Yisrael. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Tune in next week as Rabbi David Levin Cruz discusses Parashat Toldot. Thanks for listening.